Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Harvard Mayor Luke Bronin is my guest today as we talk with mayoral candidates ahead of the September 10th primary. Bronin faces two challengers, former Mayor Eddie Perez and State Representative Brandon McGee. Do city voters want to give Bronin a second term to lead the capital city? Are you a Hartford resident? You can join our conversation. We have a toll-free number, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome back to the show Mayor Luke Bronin. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Lucy. Good to be with you. So how do you feel? You had a big debate last night uh, with uh, the two other candidates. I should say we had Representative uh, McGee on yesterday. Uh, uh, former Mayor Eddie Perez's campaign has not responded uh, to our request to come on the show. But this was a chance for you to spread your message of what you've done over the last term. So why run again? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on again. Uh, and it was it was uh, the first of three debates uh, in this last uh, you know, 10-day stretch. So we got two more coming up. Um, look, uh, the, the short answer is because we have so much more work to do. You know, over the last uh, three and a half years, we've had to battle through some of the toughest uh, challenges and one of the biggest crises our city's ever faced. I think we did it honestly. I think we did it with an eye to the long term. Uh, and we also tried to plant seeds uh, that are beginning to sprout, you know, whether it's neighborhood economic development, our youth engagement efforts, uh, you know, work to improve uh, quality of life throughout our neighborhoods. But we have so much more work to do. uh, And I love doing it. I hope to have the chance to keep doing it for another four years. So how would you rate the job you've done so far? Well, like I said, you know, the the first couple of years uh, were consumed by battles that uh, I didn't fully anticipate and uh, and didn't choose, but that we had to fight. You know, the first is that we were on the brink of bankruptcy when I came in. I knew that we had deep structural budget problems as a city. You know, the fact that you've got a small city uh, with uh, uh, an intense concentration of need and poverty, uh, with half the property in the city non-taxable, those were deep, long-standing structural problems. Uh, what I didn't appreciate till we got under the hood was just how immediate and enormous the budget challenge was, uh, that we were insolvent. You know, while we didn't file bankruptcy, the city was bankrupt. And so the first couple of years were consumed with trying to build a way out of that. And, you know, we made some really tough decisions. We built partnerships uh, that hadn't been built in a long time. Uh, and we've fought to achieve what's a fragile fiscal stability that gives us an opportunity to grow. So I, I think we tackled that uh, you know, historic crisis uh, in, in an honest and serious and head-on way uh, and proud of the work that, that we did. Uh, the other big uh, challenge that we didn't fully anticipate was the baseball park, uh, which was uh, a debacle when we came in. You know, it was uh, off the rails, and we had to spend a lot of time getting it on the rails and in a responsible <laughs> way. Well, we actually didn't spend city money. Uh, we spent uh, there was a, a a small amount early on when we were trying to get the team and the contractor and everybody to come to the table. But at the end of the day, what we did was figure out a solution that didn't require the taxpayers to pay. We fired the contractor. Uh, we called on the insurance company to step up and fulfill their responsibilities. They ended up paying almost $40 million to correct the mistakes of the contractor and to finish the job. If we hadn't 
done what we did and fired that contractor and called a bond, that's money that the taxpayers would have had to pay. Or you would have a big hulk of rusting steel and concrete uh, sitting unfinished Mm. to this day. But how much did the city have to spend uh, legal fees uh, fighting this uh, center plan uh, uh, developer uh, to make sure that they were the ones paying for the bill in, in the end? That's that's certainly true. We, we've had to pay, we've had to pay uh, more than we'd wish in legal fees. But uh, uh, for the ability to now move forward, you know, s- free of uh, the, the tie to the, the old contractor, uh, who I think should never have been uh, given that uh, that job and should never have been given the development rights, for the ability now to move forward and get that development done, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I think uh, it, it was, uh, it was well worth it. So you would put uh, the Dunkin' Donuts Park uh, on a list of accomplishments, the fact that this is now the third season the Hartford Yard Goats have played, and now development may be moving forward. Could center plan still appeal? Uh, they are appealing. Uh, I don't think they can win, but they are appealing. You know, we, we uh, as I said, you know, two years ago, we felt very confident and very strongly about, uh, you know, the, the merits of this, that we were in the right to fire them, that they, you know, failed in their obligation to the people of Hartford. And a jury unanimously found in our favor, um, you know, the judge uh, rejected center plans attempts to keep all that land tied up while the appeals were going on. So now, we're looking forward to getting shovels in the ground as soon as we can. You know, look, that was always, I, I always had concerns and expressed those concerns about the baseball park project because the financial piece of it never made sense to me. The numbers didn't add up. The piece that was promised by the prior administration, which now it falls to us to try to deliver on, is to get that area around it developed so that you br- build a bridge and make a connection between our downtown and Albany and North Main. And so I'm eager to get to that phase of it and, uh, and glad that we're now uh, you know, on a clear legal path to move forward and get some shovels on the ground. Uh, your opponent, Representative Brandon McGee, I mentioned he was on the show uh, yesterday. He also brought this up at the debate uh, the other night that uh, you know there aren't a lot of development pro- projects happening around the city, specifically in the North End. So under your term, what are you doing for, for the residents who live in the yeah, North End? I, I think it's really important to, to say, I just think that's, that's it's just not true. There's actually more neighborhood development happening right now than there has in decades. So if you look up, uh, just a couple of days ago, we opened uh, the brand new Weaver High School, uh, comprehensive high school in the North End, again, for the first time in years. Uh, Right now, the historic Martin Luther King Elementary School is under construction. You have Bowles Park, which is a huge post-war housing development that was dilapidated and deteriorating. That's been brought back to life as high-quality, affordable housing in our neighborhood. Westbrook Village, uh, another uh, enormous, old, and decaying uh, housing project is being demolished now clearing the way for, again, high-quality residential development. Uh, we have worked in partnership with groups like the Christian Activities Council to get you know, de- de- uh, deteriorating and really uh, inhumane uh, conditions in uh, a number of ho- uh, housing projects corrected. I just this past week was touring some of the buildings of Emmanuel, that Emmanuel Kuh had owned that were just awful that have now been rehabbed, uh, and it's night and day. This is that New York City landlord? That's right. Um, you know, the Five Corners and the Swift Factory, uh, an old uh, gold leaf factory that had been an employment center in the heart of the Northeast neighborhood that had been vacant now for many years, uh, is now been beautifully renovated and once again will be a center of employment in that neighborhood that desperately needs it. You got the Albany Avenue Streetscape project going, which uh, had been sitting on the books for 25 years, and we pushed forward and said, well, this has to get done. Uh, and so that, those are some things in the North. 
But if you look around the city, you can see the same type of work in other neighborhoods. You look down in Coltsville, where uh, the Colt buildings themselves are still uh, under construction, but they're already a home to commercial companies and job creators, uh, to uh, residential uh, uh, buildings, now to a new Dillon Stadium that's both uh, you know, a home to a professional soccer team and a community asset. We're making investments in Colt Park uh, through our Parks Trust Fund, which is one of the most well-used parks in the city. You've got a boys and girls club going around the corner. And to me, that's the kind of model of neighborhood development where you focus on commercial and residential and recreational all together. Uh, and that's what lifts up neighborhoods. I could tell you the same thing you know, about other neighborhoods like Parkville. Uh, and uh, you know, we obviously have a ton more work to do. But I think to some extent, you know, my opponents are just relying on this old, tired wedge issue of saying it's downtown versus neighborhoods. We're too small a city to, uh, to, to be uh, able to focus on just one tiny piece. We've got to focus on lifting up the whole city, and that's what we're trying to do. Mayor Luke Brown in studio with me here on Where We Live. He's running for re-election. First up, the September 10th primary. You can join our conversation if you have a question for Mayor Bronin, 888-720-WMPR, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. You brought up Dillon Stadium. So this is a, uh, the Hartford Athletics started playing soccer, although um, the stadium wasn't ready at the start of the season. Uh, in early August, a state audit found the Capital Region Development Authority improperly spent $4 million of public money on the construction before the agreement was even finalized between the city and the professional sports team. How did that happen? Well, look, let's, just, let's just start with what I think is the most important point. Um, the city of Hartford and the community in Hartford has wanted to resurrect Dillon for years, for decades. Uh, a former Mayor Perez tried to do it. Uh, it didn't, didn't work. Former Mayor Cigar tried to do it. didn't work. Uh, we got Dillon brought back to life, uh, got it to be home to the first professional soccer team in Connecticut, uh, which has generated a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, and most important, uh, it's open for 130 plus days of the year for community to use, for our youth sports uh, groups, for our uh, adult leagues, uh, for our schools. Play the turkey, the, the the traditional Turkey Day football game. We'll be back at Dillon this year, uh, so it's a huge win for our city to get uh, that back. But the um, process, to the, to, the, to yeah. the, the the process. Look, let me say this: the every single dollar that CRDA spent was spent precisely on what it was supposed to be spent for. The issue was was one agreement signed before another, and frankly, at the end of the day, uh, what's most important is that every dollar was spent exactly where it was supposed to be spent, exactly on what it was supposed to be spent on, and at the end of the day, you have what the state sought, what the city sought, what the community wanted, which is Dillon Stadium that's back in action. Uh, your opponent, Eddie Perez, says that that spending that happened before the agreement was finalized is tied to who you get uh, d- uh, your money from, donors to your campaign. What do you say to his it, claim? It's just it's just wrong. I mean, it, it has no basis in fact. You know, what delayed that project was the fact that the team owner had made contributions to a Republican candidate for governor. That's what delayed the project and uh, made it necessary for CRDA to make that tough call. It was about, Mr. Mandel. Yeah, about that. CRDA had then to make that tough call. Do we move forward? And I think the other important thing is the reason the state wanted to make sure there was uh, you know, full agreements signed is because they wanted to make sure there was a soccer team, a professional soccer team playing in that stadium. If CRDA had waited to move forward with construction, we would have lost that team. 
So I think CRDA did their best to make sure that they were delivering on their commitments to the state, to the Bond Commission, and uh, to the people of Hartford. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the work that they did. So does it stop there uh, with that state audit? Are there any other further investigations of how this process uh, uh, went forward with CRDA, whether local or federal? I, I, have, I have no idea, but I think that the facts are pretty, pretty well known and pretty clear. Um, that, that at the end of the day, CRDA had to make a decision. Do you let this project languish and die or do you move it forward and spend that money on the thing it was supposed to be spent on? And, you know, from the perspective of the city of Hartford, which now has a Dillon Stadium back as a community asset, uh, I'm glad they move forward. Let's take some calls from Hartford residents. You can join us, too. Uh, the number uh, 888-720-WMPR. That's 888-720-9677. That's our new toll-free number. Uh, Kayla's calling from Hartford. Kayla, go ahead. Kayla, are you there? Yes. Yes, go, I'm here. Go ahead with your question. My question is, for Luke, what will you do to create opportunities for young people living in the city? Thanks, Kayla. Uh, I I appreciate that question. Uh, You know, one of the things that I made a priority during my first campaign and a priority when I first took office was to create the Youth Service Corps. You know, as I talk to organizations and individuals that work with our young people, especially with our young people, uh, you know, who may have fallen off track, really become disengaged and disconnected, was that for many of our kids, we just didn't have that thing in our toolbox to offer them a different path or, or uh, you know, attract them to try something new. And that thing that everyone cited as missing was a job. And so we built the Youth Service Corps. Uh, and at a time when the city didn't have any money, we built it with private funding. We raised money from local companies, from national foundations. And as a result, we have over the last few years uh, helped about 750 kids get their in, many, in most cases, their first job, uh, get the chance to get a paycheck, not just for a few weeks in the summer, but year-round, part-time, doing things in the community that strengthen the community, whether it's working with community organizations, whether it's building park benches or playgrounds, uh, whether it's shoveling snow for seniors and disabled uh, neighbors during the winter or helping them you know, uh, mow their lawns during the summer. Uh, and then maybe most truly most importantly, getting connected to a broader range of supports, of mentorship, counseling, planning, so that they're able to plan the next step and get back on track. And that's something that uh, it's it's close to, to my heart. It's one of the most important things I think we've done, and I want to make sure we sustain it. I'd like to try to grow it. Uh, so that's one thing. There's a lot of other work uh, that we're doing, you know, uh, from small stuff to big stuff. You know, uh, one... Uh, I support fully uh, the superintendent's uh, work to implement their district model of excellence in our school system, and that includes a real focus on our neighborhood schools. It includes a real focus on the core instructional quality in our schools. It includes a strong focus on social-emotional learning. All of those are key to creating opportunities for our young people. And then, you know, smaller things like keeping rec centers open later during the summer, which we've done. Uh, so there's a lot of work left to do. It's probably the single most important thing, you know, work that we uh, have to do. Uh, and uh, it's something that we've spent a lot of time trying to do right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your take? Uh, you know, previous mayors of Hartford have had a, a vote on the Board of Education. What um, is your role now on the Board of Education? Should it change uh, as we look at other ways to uh, not only make sure you provide resources, but really try to tackle that achievement gap sure. still found in Hartford? So m- 
L- let me just start with the last piece, the tackling that achievement gap. I, I, I think it's important in any conversation about education uh, to make sure we acknowledge the reasons for that gap and the reasons for our disparities. And, and the reason is this. In this state of three and a half million people that we've carved into 169 towns, our school districts are drawn around along municipal boundaries. And our municipal boundaries reflect and reinforce some of the most profound uh, socioeconomic and racial disparities in the nation. Uh, so any conversation about education needs to acknowledge that at the start. Uh, and that's something that I hope we as a state have the courage to address uh, in a bigger way. Uh, now, to your to your specific question, uh, mayor has the right to appoint members of the board. Uh, I appoint members to the Board of Education. Uh, I said during my last campaign uh, that I would not appoint myself to the board. Uh, I think that there was some, uh, some prior mayors had done it. Uh, I think some uh, prior mayors may have done it and, and uh, tried to be a little too heavy-handed in, in all domains. I view my, my role as picking good board members who care deeply about our school and care deeply about our kids and are deeply connected to our community and are working to do the right thing and to support our superintendent in the work that she's doing. You know, I think Dr. Torres Rodriguez has one of the toughest jobs around. Uh, I think that they have done some really good work to lay out the plan. And I view my job not to come in and to tell a professional educator, this is how you do it, but to support her and her team and the board in the work that they've set out to do. Uh, Ben's calling from Hartford. Ben, go ahead with your question for Mayor Bronin. Hi. um, So coming up in Hartford is the climate strike on September 20th. And uh, one of the things that the city of Hartford can do for to address climate change is shut down the trash incinerator that's been poisoning Hartford for uh, water and air for the last 20 years. So I I hope that the mayor will commit to shutting that down. Uh, Mayor Brennan, do you want to respond? I do want to respond. Uh, I I, uh, will commit to do what I've been doing for the last two years, which is uh, arguing with the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection and with the state and with MIRA that it makes absolutely no sense to burn half the state's trash on waterfront land uh, in the capital city. I think it's absolutely crazy. That is an obsolete aging facility sitting on riverfront land uh, and... The state, I think, is about to make a big mistake of, uh, you know, just putting more money in to tape this thing together and keep it uh, uh, moving along. Uh, I have opposed that. I'll continue to oppose it. I, I can't promise you that I can shut it down because I don't control it. Uh, that is a, it's a quasi-state entity. It's state land. It's a state facility. Uh, but I have uh, expressed very clearly, uh, uh, repeatedly, my my belief that uh, we should not repeat the mistake of the last century by uh, making our riverfront land in Hartford the site where we burn trash for another 50 years. But are you up against, you mentioned all these different municipalities, they don't want that facility, do they? Uh, I, you know, the question is, the answer is, I don't know. You know, maybe there are some towns where there, if there are uh, sufficient incentives, uh, you know, put forward that they would. Uh, we've got, uh, I think, a lot of sites around the state that are uh, make a lot more sense than than this one. And there's two issues here. There's there's the location of it, which I don't think ever made sense to, you know, again, to put a trash-burning power plant on uh, land next to our beautiful Connecticut River uh, at the intersection of two major highways where you could have really, you know, both sustainable and, and beautiful uh, uh, uses. Um, and also, I don't think it makes sense to double down on this particular facility and this particular technology because it is old, it's obsolete, it's fallen apart, 
if we're going to have a serious conversation about the future of waste disposal in the state, then we should do it not you know, tied to our decisions of the past, but really looking at what are the smartest, most efficient, most sustainable ways of, of uh, uh, getting rid of trash for the entire state. And let's not just be constrained by the choices you know, people made 50 years ago. We'll take a quick break. Uh, I'm Lucien Alpathanchel here on Where We Live with Mayor Luke Bronin, who's seeking re-election. The primary is coming up September 10th. You can join us at 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. If you're a Hartford resident, we want to hear from you as we talk to Mayor Luke Bronin today about his reelection campaign. On September 10th, primary day, he'll face two challengers, former Mayor Eddie Perez and State Representative Brandon McGee. They collected enough signatures to be on the ballot. Uh, Luke Bronin is the endorsed candidate. What's your question for the mayor? 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, you know, schools are back in session now, or almost all of them, uh, Mayor Bronin. But this summer was particularly violent uh, in Hartford, uh, July being one of the most violent months in, in several years. You know, what is an effective way to reduce gun violence when you see these homicides going up? Again, this is happening as your mayor of a city. And we asked Brandon McGee this question yesterday, that the state often will allocate more resources to the major cities like yours. But is that enough? No, no, it's not enough. And and I think it's important to say, I want to be very clear about what I'm saying here. Um, Violence is not up. And that's not a good thing. The violence is about the same level it's been, and it's way too high. Um, violence uh, in July was a particularly bad month. We had good months before. But, but overall, I think the point is this is a persistent uh, issue that um, we've worked really hard to address, and we're not moving the needle enough. But homicides uh, are up? So, uh, no, homicides actually are, are n- not up uh, if you look at the last few years. Um, but again, they're way too high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think there are a number of things we said we would do right at the start. Um, one was to rebuild our police force because our police force, they hadn't recruited officers for a long time. And we were falling to really dangerously low staffing levels. So we worked hard to recruit. We've recruited you know, over 100 officers. So we've got an academy class in right now. We've worked hard to recruit classes that reflect the diversity of our city uh, and build those numbers back up. Um, we've invested in technology, including you know, cameras that have, in many cases, particularly this summer, helped our police uh, identify suspects and, and identify shooters uh, much faster than they otherwise would have been able to do. And, and it's important because you, you have to be able to show consequences for people who are pulling triggers in our streets. And, uh, and then we've worked really hard uh, on community partnerships and community engagement with uh, groups that are out there working to de-escalate situations. You know, one of the things about the violence we're seeing is that right now it's of a very different kind than what people think of when they think of old gang, gang wars. A lot of the violence we've seen is very personal. It's from personal disputes, uh, and sometimes that's tied to, to drug deals and, and drug trade or, you know, or drug-related robbery. Sometimes it's more personal, uh, uh, like um, you know, t- tied to uh, um, whether it's uh, you know, a, a, uh, you know, a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or 
you know, other very personal disputes, and they escalate quickly, and the prevalence of guns uh, out there makes it very, very dangerous. So some of the work that we're doing with our community members and community partners is trying to make sure we're out there de-escalating those situations and sharing information. There are a number of things that uh, we've also begun to do that we have to continue to, to, uh, to push forward uh, aggressively. One is uh, that individualized response. So we built something called the Rapid uh, Response Protocol. Anytime there is a young victim of violence, we convene a group of stakeholders, uh, including healthcare providers, including uh, you know law enforcement, including um, you know uh, our new juvenile uh, specialist at the police department that we hired specifically to do this. That convenes and. Uh, wraps their arms around that person and says, what can we do to try to support and intervene this person? We're working to build deeper partnerships with our hospitals because hospital-based intervention has been shown to be an effective way of dealing with it. Uh, and so we're working closely with our hospitals. Uh, there is, uh, I think, a, a lot uh, more that we can do, and we're already working to try to do those things. Um, but this is probably one of the most painful and difficult and frustrating issues that cities across the country face. And as says Mayor, I've sat in way too many living rooms with mothers who have lost their kids, and I've gone to way too many funerals. Uh, and uh, that's true for everybody in our city and everybody in cities across our country. And so, you know, we're, we're going to keep working really hard on this. Siobhan's calling from Hartford. Siobhan, go ahead with your question. Uh, my question is, uh, what is your plan for effectively evaluating programs to maximize impact? And to, I guess, further explain what the question means is, uh, I mean, thinking of education, thinking of health, thinking of public, uh, public works, thinking of youth programs, um, we, there's a situation where we don't have a lot of resources. So how do we use the data that we have? How do we use the information that we receive to continuously modify the services and actually provide uh, sort of structured, more impactful programs to see sort of the needle move in areas where we have uh, deficiencies and uh, disparities. Thank you, Siobhan. Siobhan, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I don't think we do this well enough. Uh, you know, the city has not historically used and collected data uh, effectively enough. We've tried to do it better, and we've got a lot more uh, room to, to get better in this. Um, you know, one of the areas where we've uh, really tried to do this is, uh, for example, on our youth engagement. So we've, we've experimented with different things. Uh, last year, we tried, uh, for example, keeping our rec centers open till midnight. We watched closely what, what was the usage, when did, you know, young people actually come in and use, and we found that our expectations you know, didn't match with what our kids were doing and how they were using it. So we changed course uh, this summer. Um, you know, similarly, uh, you know, we're, we're looking, monitoring very, very closely the data on our bulky waste program. We made some changes last summer that I don't think we communicated very well. Uh, it didn't work uh, for, for uh, a while, and we've made adjustments and fixed it. Now we monitor very closely how long it takes us to respond to any complaint uh, about a bulky waste uh, item and, and, you know, hold ourselves accountable for that. Um, we do have a limited uh, amount of money to spend, and so, you know, we're trying to get a lot better at making sure that every dollar we spend is uh, is spent uh, uh, in a way that's informed by data and results that we see. Mm -hmm. And you know we have uh, you know made some changes uh, in in the way the organizations are evaluated. I'll tell you one area where I think we do that uh, quite a bit is in our use of community development block grants, which is federal grant funding that comes to us uh, to uh, to be dispersed to community organizations doing work around our city. And we have a, a pretty thorough you know evaluation process that happens every year as we uh, make those decisions. I wanted to 
go back to uh, questions about, you know, we were just talking about uh, violence, even though, as you mentioned, the, the trend has been lower, it's still very high. Uh, you know, when we talk about uh, community uh, relations with uh, the Hartford police, uh, under your term, you had uh, Chief Rosada leave uh, to work in the private sector. Now there's still an interim. I mean, can you talk about who's leading the police force and, you know, what strides that you would take if reelected to have more continuity and to help with that that trust on the streets. Sure, you know I, I <laughs> as I said last night's debate. I I was I was disappointed that Chief Rosado left. You know he was uh, somebody who um, grew, grew up in Hartford. You know graduated from Buckley High School. Uh, you know I, I I think cares deeply about the city. I I had thought and hoped he would uh, be around for uh, a lot longer. Um, the answer right now is I think our interim chief is doing a, a really strong job uh, leading this department during this interim period. Uh, I don't think and didn't think it made sense to go through a chief selection process in the middle of political silly season, in the middle of an election campaign for a bunch of reasons. Uh, you know, Obviously, I hope to be mayor, but at the end of the day, whoever's mayor, I think, has the right to, uh, should have the right to help select that next chief. Um, I think the process for selecting the next chief needs to make sure that we involve our community in it. Uh, we, we need to, um, you know, I think we need to search and, and see what our, uh, what our options are. Uh, but, um, you know, I think our our department right now uh, has, as an interim leader, uh, someone who's been a member of the force for more than 20 years, uh, uh, understands the city well, understands the department well, and I, I think he's been doing a very good job. You know, I wanted to bring in a tweet we got from Anna because, um, you know, there is a complaint of sexual harassment within the police department that's still pending, and Anna wants to know, you know, how can uh, we build stronger relations between Hartford Police and members of the community, especially women and LGBTQIA individuals. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that question. I think the single most important thing we can do is hire more women police officers. Uh, we've talked with a lot of uh, experts in this area uh, as we've looked at how we can make sure that we have a climate, not just in our PD, but in all of our departments that is truly uh, inclusive, that is uh, truly makes everyone feel empowered, not just to raise their complaints, but to uh, to make sure that the people don't think that they can get away with unacceptable behavior to begin with. Um, and uh, and time and again, you know, what's clear is that getting to uh, a, a the diversity of force where you have enough women on that force is one of the biggest things we can do. So in, of the officers we've recruited uh, you know, the, over the last three years, uh, just over a quarter of those officers have been women. Uh, that's double the national average. It's not as high as we'd like to go, but it's something we've really worked hard to do. The other thing that we're doing right now uh, is we, are, uh, we, we have commissioned a climate review uh, of our police department, uh, and I am eager to see the results of that independent review and then to act on them. Uh, Larry's calling from Hartford. Larry, go ahead. Hello. This is uh, a person, besides being on city council, is also a doctor, and I have this question. Okay, about this is Councilman Deutsch, uh, who also called yesterday. Go ahead quickly. Yes, thank you. Picking up on the subject of health care for city residents, especially employees, the question is the high-deductible health plans have been noted by many to be unaffordable for those with ordinary salaries, our sanitation, fire department members, and so on, and the high-deductibles sometimes deter care, uh, when, and then it becomes too late to heal a person. And it has a, what we think is a discriminatory impact on those with lower incomes, either employees or other residents. So I'd like a 
couple of specific answers from the mayor as to uh, uh, the first one is to whether there's been a proof that it actually saves the city money when you take all the the collateral damage and other effects into account, the health of the employees and others in the city. So one question, I'd like a yes or no, is whether there is any proof that these really save the city money instead of just transferring the cost to uh, to the employee from or here's a her paycheck. The next one is for future contracts <laughs> and we need to look ahead. We need to look ahead. Will we continue this policy or of uh, high deductibles that may really damage uh, individuals' health, even a matter of life and death when they postpone care that they really should get. So, Councilman, let's have uh, Mayor Brown and answer those two questions. Uh, you know, he's this is also this came up yesterday uh, with relation to the labor concessions that you worked on uh, once you were uh, elected in 2016. There's a new health plan. There's criticism from city employees that a lot of the cu- costs are now being uh, transferred to them, and they're making trying to figure out should they pay their rent or get their medications. How do you respond to that? Uh, well, go- good morning, Councilman Deutsch. Um, uh, if they are saying that they're bearing more of the costs, they're absolutely right. Uh, we asked our employees for a lot, uh, and uh, and I think it's important to acknowledge uh, the the sacrifices that they made because they did make sacrifices. You know, when we uh, came in and uh, our city was on the uh, brink of bankruptcy, we asked everybody to step up. We, we asked our unions to step up in some big ways, and they did. Uh, we asked our uh, our corporations to put in you know more money beyond the taxes that they pay, and they did. We built a new partnership with the state, and the same things that we applied that we that we negotiated with our union members, we applied to our non-union members. So uh, I want to be very clear. Uh, I I am grateful for and respect the the. Uh, sacrifices that our union members made as we battled a historic fiscal crisis in the city. To the question of did it save the city money, yes, it did. Uh, it, it, it did. Um, and uh, I think Councilman Deutsch uh, knows that. Uh, but um, but these were tough choices. Uh, we, we also you know, were sensitive and, and negotiated some different structures in the health care plan uh, depending on you know, the average pay of the union that we were negotiating with. And, and they're not all the same. Um, but, but let me be clear. Our, it's not just on health care. Our union members... Um, I think stepped up in ways that I don't think you can find a city in the state uh, where there were more, uh, um, you know, changes negotiated in, in union contracts that that labor agreed to. And I appreciate what they did. It's the healthcare changes. They took four years of zeros uh, every single contract and four years of zero wage increases. Uh, there were um, changes to uh, pension uh, plans and pension benefits. There were changes to retiree health care. There were existing employees who uh, increased the number of years to retirement. Uh, our, our union members came seriously to the table at a time of crisis for the city, and I'll be the first to say they gave up a lot, and I'm grateful for it. So I guess the question is, uh, is there more pain coming? Um, I, look, I... I, I, I hope not. I mean, my goal is to, to grow this city. I think the way we maintain the stability and sustainability is to grow our city. Uh, and, uh, and that's what we're working hard to do uh, in, in all of our neighborhoods is to get development going that raises the grand list and, and gets us moving. You know, the big, one of the big questions about, uh, you know, for us f- fiscally is what's that reval in 2021 look like? Uh, when, when all the property in the city is, is revalued, uh, where does that put us? And we're fighting hard to make sure that we We've got momentum and strength going into that reval because uh, we need to make sure we keep uh, our city uh, on the rise. Uh, but you know, I, 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 I again, I, I will always acknowledge um, 
I always acknowledge where we sh- fall short, and I'll always acknowledge and, and be grateful for the uh, the ways that our unions really did step up. So, for our uh, our listeners who don't live in Hartford, but um, because uh, the state did, in a sense, uh, agree to this five hundred fifty, I think it was a five hundred million dollar debt assistance uh, to keep your city from having to declare bankruptcy. Uh, will the, can these listeners be confident that the city is lean now and that the finances are stable? Our our city is lean. Uh, There's a lot of places where, frankly, I think we're maybe too lean uh, to deliver the services that our our residents deserve and that the the region and the state should want from its capital city. Uh, Look, this gets back to that place where we started this, which is there is a basic structural problem that we all have to acknowledge. You've got a city that's too small. You've got a city that's built on the tax base of a suburb, you know, a city with less taxable property than West Hartford and about the same amount of taxable property as Farmington and Glastonbury. So no one should ever expect or be under the illusion that you can responsibly run that city without a partnership with the state. Uh, It just is not built to work. But what I can tell you is that for the first time in a long time, we have a long-term financial plan. Uh, We work together with the Municipal Accountability Review Board, which I I welcome, frankly. I don't have any problem with anybody looking in our books and looking over our shoulder. I'm confident in the decisions we make. Uh, I have no problem being subjected to to scrutiny uh, because we've made tough decisions. Uh, we are disciplined in our budgeting. We've built a long-term plan that has uh, that, that funds our capital investments uh, without borrowing new money. So uh, I, I am proud of the disciplined work that our team has done. And uh, you know, in terms of what's the long-term stability, that long-term stability depends on us protecting the gains that we've made. It depends on us growing the city and continuing to build some momentum. And it on main, uh, depends on maintaining that partnership with the state uh, because I believe that if we want to get the state of Connecticut growing and we want to get the state of Connecticut strong, you've got to have cities and especially a capital city that is vibrant and strong and retaining talent and attracting talent and helping to bring jobs. Uh, that's the mission that I think everybody in this state should rally around because it matters to all of us. And quickly, uh, Mayor Bronin, is there a chance that the General Assembly, it didn't come up this session, but could they uh, work to revoke uh, that deal that was agreed upon or that they would uh, be able to take up this debt assistance or find ways of getting more money out of the city, uh, the city of Hartford? Look, I, I think at this point, uh, People on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, I think recognize the progress that that you can see in the city and the fact that it's it's important uh, not uh, not only um, you know for the city of Hartford itself, but for the whole state. That you talk to our major employers that employ tens of thousands of people and result in tens and tens of thousands of additional indirect jobs. They want strong cities because if you look around America today what's driving growth are strong urban centers. And one of the reasons Connecticut has not been as competitive is that we let our cities struggle for too long. So I hope at this point there's a bipartisan recognition that the work we did, we did for a reason. And the the deal and the partnership we built matters to the entire state. We'll have to leave it there. Mayor Luke Bronin running for re-election in the city of Hartford. September 10th is a Democratic primary. Uh, mayor Bronin is challenging or up against the former Mayor Eddie Perez and State Representative Brandon McGee. Thanks for coming in. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Lucy. Coming up, we're going to have uh, more analysis on the mayoral campaign uh, in the city of Hartford from Hartford Current reporter Rebecca Laurie. You can join us. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard from Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin, who's running for re-election. On September 10th, he faces two challengers in the Democratic primary, former Mayor Eddie Perez and State Representative Brandon McGee. For analysis on uh, the campaign, joining us now in studio is a reporter from the Hartford Current, Rebecca Laurie, who was just here yesterday. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. So respond to that interview with Mayor Bronin and some of the points that he raised about his accomplishments covered a lot of ground with him today. <laughs> um, I thought it was really good to hear him speak about Dillon Stadium in particular. That's been one of the issues that uh, has, has brought some criticism to him recently, just the, the messiness of this deal, even as the stadium has opened and brought um, kind of inarguable energy to the city. Um, I thought it was interesting that he said that uh, the issue there was that one agreement came before the other, one agreement was signed before another, and that wasn't the issue at all. The issue was that um, there was no agreement as more than $4 million was spent on construction. And uh, there's actually a contracting standards board that's looking into whether this should be considered illegal and whether some sort of action should be taken. And then the only reason agreement was signed was because the mayor um, split up the agreements into two between the city and um, the CRDA, in which Bronin is the secretary, and between uh, the CRDA, the, the city, and the team, which turned out to be necessary because, as we said, Bruce Mandel, the owner of the team, um, was found to have violated campaign finance laws, which would temporarily disqualify him from having a state contract. It's, it's just complicated. It's more complicated than I think you made it sound. Thank you for that context, uh, Rebecca. Uh, again, uh, Mayor Luke Bronin running for his second term. You know, He is a white mayor of a majority city of black and Hispanic residents running against a former uh, mayor, Eddie Perez. And there is also State Representative uh, Brandon McGee, who we spoke to yesterday, who's African-American. What about Mayor Bronin's message appeals to the majority of city residents. Is, does he have a is something to worry about September 10th? I think that he he definitely is um, getting the story out there about all of the different things that he has uh, worked on and and tried to support in the neighborhoods. Whether it's you know the the different um, public housing projects that are being redone or the Swift Factory or um, just the the youth. Uh, job employment programs that he has brought um, to the city. Uh, but I do think it's kind of interesting that he is trying to frame the other candidates' uh, criticisms as like a, a tired wedge issue, an old tired wedge issue is what he said today, of the downtown versus the neighborhoods. When you have a city that has a very wealthy downtown, the you know former uh, insurance capital of the world, and you have neighborhoods that have areas that are basically third world, you know, countries that you have, um, they're consumed by poverty. They are uh, plagued by gun violence. And so there's nothing tired and there, there's no wedge that these other candidates are, are trying to create. That wedge is, is there between these two areas of the city. Is that going to hurt him then with uh, the former mayor, Eddie Perez, who's Puerto Rican? And again, Brandon McGee, who talked yesterday about his roots in the North End. Um, you know, are these two candidates something that will be pulling votes away from, from Mayor Bronin? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm so excited to find out. I think the primary <laughs> is going to finally tell us. Um, in the, the primary last year, which was really in last year, last election, mm -hmm. which was really the main race, um, I think. Uh, Luke Bronin won most of, pretty much all of the North uh, North Hartford, um, and there was no uh, candidate for uh, voters to vote for who was from the North End or who was black. 
And then you had in the south end, um, you lost almost all of southern Hartford, except for a couple neighborhoods, a couple precincts in uh, the south end and in uh, southwest Hartford. And so if those were already his weak spots, now you have a candidate who is from uh, southern Hartford who represents um, the Hispanic population. You know, we ran out of time with Mayor Bronin. I did not bring up the fact that when he was elected the first time around, he then went on to uh, uh, run for governor, which is something that came up a lot at the debate uh, last night. Is that hurting, still hurting uh, Luke Bronin in this uh, this campaign? Yeah, that was a big topic of conversation at the uh, at Fox 61's debate last night. And he's, he's spoken to that issue a bunch of times. Um, I do think it's a little interesting how now he says that the reason that he dropped out was because he found a candidate he could you know, believe in, he could rally behind at the time. He said it was because he didn't think it was fair to Hartford um, and he wanted to you know, stay here and then maintain the stability here. And that is a little bit of a different narrative, even if both things can and, and probably are true. Um, the other candidates are definitely trying to capitalize on that as uh, you can trust me. I won't do that. Um, you know, Eddie Perez and, and Jay Stan McCauley, who isn't running mm-hmm. in the primary, both said there's no circumstances where they would ever run anything for anything besides mayor and that they would hope to be mayor for a long time. Uh, Brandon McGee kind of sidestepped it a little bit. He, he said that if, you know, he said he would be willing to step down if, if voters ever called for that. He didn't kind of explicitly promise that he would never run for another office, but I don't know that he meant to avoid the question like he did. Um Luke Bronin, you know, he took that opportunity to explain what happened. And even then, he didn't uh, make that explicit promise that he has to the current um, in this race, that he won't run for another term, uh, for another office while he's mayor. We asked uh, Mayor Bronin about uh, police department uh, because the fact that there have been um, a lot of, of leadership that nothing c- consistent with uh, Chief Rosado leaving. Now you have the interim. Uh, there's the sexual harassment complaint. There was also uh, during the time that Luke Bronin, Luke Bronin has been mayor uh, issues with uh, that police officer um, saying that, uh, you know, being very inappropriate with uh, a group of of uh, yeah, African-American. Thank you. Trigger officer. happy comment. I was like trying to remember exactly what he said. And so there is these issues of distrust uh, with the community. And I'm just curious uh, with the issues within the police department, um, you know, has, is that an issue that's resonating with people thinking about who they're going to vote for uh, this coming election? That's definitely going to be something residents have to try and piece out like what is going on between uh, the relationship between the mayor's office and the police department. You have uh, Luke Bronin saying that he thinks that uh, Jason Thode is doing a very good job as an interim leader and that he, if elected, would want to run a search and see what else is out there. Um, I guess we could read between the lines and kind of wonder, like, is uh, the current interim chief interested in that job? Would he want to be considered for the job? And if so, I feel like that is kind of an interesting position to be in where you are tasked with probably running the department for a good while once somebody is elected because the search takes time, but knowing that, you know, your mayor is looking for other options. Mm -hmm. um, And that certainly wouldn't, uh, I don't know, ease any instability Mm -hmm. that is clearly there with these, uh, with the complaint that hasn't been resolved in months. Um, You know, we heard uh, Luke Bronin say that he wants to um, see this climate uh, review done. But this has been an issue since February that this was raised as a serious problem in the department. And so six months later, you know, how long is the climate review going to take? 
Uh, also, when we when we ask about schools, is that a good position that Mayor Bronin is in, that he um, supports what Superintendent Dr. Torres Rodriguez has done with the consolidation plan? Because there is some concern in communities where they've seen their neighborhood schools close, um, and it's not exactly something that everyone uh, is approving of in the city. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts were on and his response of, of backing the superintendent and, and the Board of Education. Yeah, that, that's one area that has been really consistent throughout this uh, race that uh, Luke Bronin has uh, said that he feels like the, the the district isn't going in the right direction. They are only partway through a plan. This is their second year now of a three-year plan. And, and so I think it is too early to know whether this will be the solution that the city needs. Um, but there's also no reason to think that this isn't what they need to do in order to save the money um, that they would be spending keeping open under-enrolled and underperforming schools. They do need to figure out a way to use uh, flat funding to serve students better than they've been doing. And so uh, I, I think it would be a hard argument to say that they should go in any different direction rather than follow through with a, a district uh, model of excellence plan that they're on right now. Rebecca Laurie, again, is reporter for the Hartford Current, uh, covers uh, Hartford extensively. We'll be in a debate. Uh, we'll be participating in the debate uh, next week. Remind us again uh, what day and time where we're going to see Mayor Bronin, uh, former Mayor Eddie Perez, uh, State Representative Brandon McGee, and also Stan McCauley, who's running in the general election? No, we're, we're actually only okay. going to have a primary debate. We want Perfect. people to be able to see there, there are three options in this one election. Tune in on Thursday at 7 p.m. to WTNH to see the current and, uh, and their debate. Well, thank you, Rebecca, for your time today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.